I'm speaking with Stephen Pressman, the author of 50 Children, One Ordinary American Couple's Extraordinary Rescue Mission into the Heart of Nazi Germany. Stephen, thanks so much for talking with us today. Oh, Lee, thank you so much. It's, a, it's just a pleasure to be, to be here with you. So you have a personal connection with this story. Can you tell us about how you came to uh, find out about Gil and Eleanor Krauss's rescue mission? Uh, certainly, certainly, yes. I'm, a, I'm truly a lucky guy to have uh, come across this story because my wife, uh, Liz Purley, is one of four grandchildren of Gil uh, and Eleanor Krauss. And Liz and other members of her family always knew more or less, uh, without knowing all of the specific details, what her grandparents, Gil and Eleanor Krauss, had done uh, in the spring of 1939. And fortunately, uh, Liz's grandmother, Eleanor Krauss, some years after this rescue mission took place, wrote a sort of private memoir. And uh, Liz, uh, for years, has had a copy of that, and she shared it with me some years ago, and and I realized after reading this manuscript and after convincing myself that it was actually true and not just some sort of work of of fanciful imagination, that there was this incredible story to be told all these years later, a story of this couple who rescued children uh, and a story that was essentially hiding in plain sight for all these years. And and I I owe it all to the fact that, that, that these were my wife's grandparents. Now, Gil was actually an attorney himself, wasn't he? He sure was. Gil Krauss was a a business lawyer in Philadelphia uh, starting in the 1920s, and a a fairly successful business lawyer. He always uh, worked for himself. He had a small law firm. He had one partner in the late 1930s, and he did just sort of general routine business matters in Philadelphia, certainly nothing on, on this scale. But he certainly had a creative legal mind, and he used that to very good advantage in in figuring out what he needed to do in order to uh, make this rescue mission a a success. Now, I find this fascinating because he had no background in immigration law, but he, he looked at what he could find about immigration law, and he found what he thought might be a loophole that would help him rescue um, these children. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, that's a, that's exactly right, Lee. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, Gil was no expert in immigration law, and you know, then as now, uh, the immigration laws were pretty intricate. They were also highly restrictive in the 1930s. Uh, every single foreign country had a very strict quota, uh, setting specific quota on the number of immigrants that would be allowed in. Gil knew that that was generally the case, but he certainly didn't know the details, and he was looking for, and he knew he needed to find some legal way uh, to bring in this group of 50 Jewish children from Nazi Germany, and he knew that he had to face these very strict quotas. Um, He did start looking into it, and basically what he did was start comparing the numbers of quotas with the actual people, with the actual number of people who wound up coming into the United States. And at some point he discovered that the precise number of visas that were being issued to refugees, specifically those coming in from Nazi Germany, did not quite match up with the quotas themselves. And he discovered that there were basically these unused 
visas that had been issued but for some reason not used. And, and luckily, he was able to speak with folks at the State Department who otherwise weren't terribly sympathetic during this time about bringing in larger numbers of Jewish refugees. But he convinced them to at least contemplate setting aside some of those unused visas that otherwise were just going to sort of expire, basically, and, uh, and allow those visas to be used for this small group of children who were otherwise basically already on waiting lists to come into the United States with their families. Uh, Gill knew that he would not be able to get visas for the children and their families and their parents. That would be asking too much. But he did come up with this scheme that nobody, for whatever reason, had really ever thought to do. And, and I think that was that sort of creative legal mind that Gil Krauss had that, that ultimately allowed him to succeed where so many others had fallen short in their efforts to bring Jewish refugees uh, into this country during the, during the rise of the Holocaust. Let's back up a little bit and explain why 50 children um, and how the, the children who did come were, were selected. Sure. You know, the, the, the number 50 was, in a sense, an arbitrary number. Gil Krauss was part of a national Jewish fraternal organization that, that actually his father had helped, had, had helped to start around the turn of the 20th century. This was an organization called Rich Shalom. Coincidentally, that organization had built a children's summer camp outside of Philadelphia. And in addition to the camp, they had built a house that was probably going to be used as some sort of old age facility, basically. It, it, it was empty at the time. It had 25 bedrooms. And Gil and his wife, Eleanor, sort of figured that, well, two to a bedroom meant they probably could accommodate 50 children. Now, Gil also knew that, uh, as, I, you know, as I just mentioned in terms of talking about the visas, it was going to be very difficult to get a larger number of visas. So he settled on the number 50, and, uh, and he winds up first in Berlin, thinking that that's where he would find uh, Jewish children whose parents were willing to send them or desperate to send them away. And instead, he's immediately directed to Vienna instead, where the situation for Jews was even worse, believe it or not, than it was in Berlin by the time this story takes place in the spring of 1939. So by the time he and Eleanor arrive in Vienna, they begin interviewing hundreds and hundreds of families where the parents are just really increasingly desperate at that point to send their children off to safety. And of course, Gil and Eleanor have that heartbreaking task of knowing they can only choose 50 among the hundreds who, uh, who all of whom were deserving of, of, of escaping to safety, but they were limited to that number 50. One thing that you point out in the book and that I know was kind of skated over uh, when I was a kid learning about um, the Holocaust is that we sort of have this cultural story where we say, oh, the Jews were not allowed to leave, and that is why they were all killed. And that is not true, specifically in this time period. The Jews were not only allowed but encouraged to leave, but nowhere would take them. In the book, you go into um, the attitudes of Americans at that time towards immigration, and interestingly, the attitudes that some of the Jewish Americans had uh, towards loosening the immigration standards, too. How did Gil and Eleanor get around or, or deal with and confront um, this issue in bringing the children to America? 
Right. Well, you're absolutely right. You know, and I, I like you, I also realized that you know, we, we, we've had these myths, in a sense, for so many years about the Holocaust. One of those, of course, as, as you said, is that uh, the Nazis weren't going to let Jews leave. This story takes place at a time when the Nazis were perfectly happy. In fact, they were pressuring every Jew in Nazi Germany, and by this time that includes Austria as well. They wanted Jews to leave, and the, and the real challenge was finding countries around the world that would, that would let them in. And sadly, the United States was among virtually all other countries in the world that simply was unwilling to take in larger numbers of refugees. The United States during the 1930s was filled with really rampant anti-Semitism, both in terms of public attitudes as well as policies that were reflected through the State Department in the United States Congress, really at the highest levels of government. Gill knew all that. Gill was reading the newspapers. Gill was a smart lawyer who knew that he was up against not only public opinion but public policy as well. Uh, and, um, and he had every obstacle confronting him every step of the way but as my wife has mentioned to me often, and she knew her grandparents well later on in their life, Gil was just a very stubborn guy. He was this determined guy who had a profound sense of right and wrong. He knew he was up against this, basically this sort of legal and public policy situation that was going to make it very difficult. But he really was determined to succeed, which is why it was so important that he found that sort of loophole that, that allowed him to ultimately convince the State Department and immigration officials and the Labor Department in the United States uh, to, to issue these visas. Uh, but it was, a, it was a profoundly difficult mission uh, because, yeah, as you mentioned, even Jews during this period were afraid of rocking the boat. They were also not wildly in favor of liberalizing immigration laws because they were worried that that would create an even greater backlash against Jews in this country. You know, it's, it's just hard to believe after all these years, knowing what we do now, of course, that that was the case. But in the 1930s, this was a period when Jews were quite aware of how much anti-Semitism there was, and many were simply unwilling to rock the boat. Ill, fortunately, for these children and their families, uh, ignored all that, plowed ahead, and he and Eleanor were able to succeed where really, unfortunately, so many others had, had fallen short. You even quote several um, other refugee activists who were attempting rescue missions of their own who were convinced that this Philadelphia lawyer and his wife were going to ruin all their plans to, to, rescue, to rescue children. Yeah, you know, it's interesting about that. You know, it's, it's so easy in retrospect to... Uh, find heroes and villains. And when I first ran across evidence that other refugee groups, uh, Jews and, and others alike, went out of their way to convince, to try and convince Gil and Eleanor to stand down, to forget about this wacky scheme. And my first thought was, how on earth could they have dared to do that? Well, in, in a, to a certain extent, it's understandable. I also happen to think there was just some good old-fashioned turf jealousy, that here was, here was this lawyer sort of acting on his own. He did have the backing of this Rich Shalom organization, but Gil was basically a guy 
just sort of doing this on his own. He was kind of winging it, and he succeeded. Uh, and it's interesting because some of those same groups who were so adamant in trying to get him to stop this effort before it even started, once he succeeded, then they did everything they could to repeat and replicate precisely what he had done now that he had figured out a way to, to get some of these precious visas. Unfortunately, only three months after this mission took place uh, in, uh, in the spring of 39, war breaks out in Europe, of course, in September when Hitler invades Poland. Uh, once that happened, all of these efforts came to a screeching halt. The borders were closed, and at that point, uh, the Germans began to set in place, of course, uh, the, the blueprints for what became the final solution. And these kinds of rescue efforts, sadly, came to an end. Uh, but for this one brief, really shining moment, uh, the Krauses were able to do something, however small it was, 50 children, you know, a tiny drop in the ocean, but they saved those lives. Uh, and, and, of course, for those children and their families, many of whom also ultimately were able to come to the United States. Uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a wonderful moment to save Well, and as you say in the book, this single group of 50 children was the largest group to come across um, during, during this time period. You say in between 33 and 1945, um, only between 1,000 and 1,200 unaccompanied Jewish children were allowed in. That's the, yeah, 12 yeah, years. No, I mean, that, that seems yeah. amazing to me. Yeah, it's a very, you know, it's a very sad commentary, of course. Uh, a, a lot of folks are familiar with the so-called kindred transport to England, where private efforts, but with the full blessing of the British government, allowed 10,000 Jewish children into the UK uh, between 1938 and 1939. Uh, again, children who were so, sent off without their parents, these so-called unaccompanied children, uh, that stands in, in stark contrast to the United States, where because of our rigid immigration policies and, unfortunately, fierce public opposition, only about 1,000, 1,100, somewhere in that neighborhood, were allowed into the United States during the entirety of the Holocaust. And of that 1,100 or so, yes, the 50 saved by Gill and Eleanor Krauss wound up being the largest single group. Now, just to put this in really stark comparison, throughout the Holocaust, 1.5 million children are victims. Uh, and um, the, the real sad tragedy is that during, these, during this earlier period in the Holocaust again, there were hundreds of thousands, children and adults alike, who could have been saved had only countries, the United States and others, been willing to take them in. So... Again, 50, it's dropped in the ocean, but at least those 50 lives were saved. Well, people can read this book, but there's also a documentary out there. Could you tell us just a little bit about, um, about that? I believe that came before you published the book. Uh, yeah, I did things sort of backwards. You know, I spent many years as a print journalist, including doing a lot of legal affairs writing. Uh, and, um, and once I knew I had this wonderful untold story, I decided to take on a challenge that I had never done before, and that was to turn this into a documentary film. So even though I always knew in the back of my head that there was going to be a great book, and I, I feel very fortunate to have written that book that's, that's now out, I did start with a documentary film. 
I also had the very great good fortune of uh, premiering that film uh, a little over a year ago on HBO. They were just wonderful partners to work with once once they became aware of the story, and uh, and I had that, uh, that wonderful opportunity to premiere the film on HBO, and it's now showing at festivals, Jewish film festivals, and other venues uh, around uh, around uh, the country. In fact, I'm in Washington D.C. right now because the Austrian embassy is hosting a screening of, of the film, uh, and uh, in fact, a couple of weeks ago. I was able to show the film in Vienna uh, uh, at a screening hosted by the American Embassy there. So that's been a wonderful, wonderful opportunity for me. The book is much more detailed, multi-layered, much more, much more rich in terms of detailing Gil's background, Eleanor's background, and more importantly, the broader legal and social and political context, the backdrop against which the story takes place. So I'm delighted with the film. I'm very proud of the film. Uh, I'm also very pleased that the book allows me to tell in even greater detail uh, this this truly wonderful story. And uh, any of our listeners who want more information on the film or the book can go to our website. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Oh, thank you, Lee. It's just a pleasure, and, and I'm delighted to have this opportunity to talk about this wonderful story. This podcast was brought to you by the ABA Journal. For more podcasts on the legal issues of the day, visit us online at abajournal.com or subscribe for free to the ABA Journal podcast on iTunes.